Well, if you have your Bibles with you, if you can open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 25. This is, as I said, the last message in this love series, and appropriately so. Uh, it's not really focused on love at all, because I can imagine, if you've been listening closely enough, uh, some of you have come to the conclusion, um, wow, I, I don't really see any prospects in my life right now for a, a romantic relationship that can be biblical. I don't really see how that works once I walk through where my life is and where these biblical principles are. Uh, so if that's the case, what in the world am I supposed to do? until maybe I'm ready to pursue marriage, until I can find someone with whom a decision about marriage is a possibility. What, what do you expect me to do for these years right now? What's, what do I do until that happens? If I can't, you know, enjoy a boyfriend or a girlfriend, right? What, what, what am I supposed to do with my time? What's, what am I supposed to do with my interests? What am I supposed to do with, with all this pent-up emotion that I have going on inside of me? What am I supposed to do all this time, Right? Uh, you just want a bunch of bored young people around your church, sitting around wishing they could date, and they, they're just bored right now, right? <laughs> well, I think 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 has something to say. Now, it's a long passage, and I've already been talking for a while, so just bear with me, okay? It's a long, somewhat confusing passage. I'm going to try to break it down, but it's a really important passage for asking the question, what am I supposed to do as a single. What am I supposed to do as a single? And you're single. I'm thinking of all of you guys out there who are not married. You're single, right? You're young single, but you're single. What am I supposed to do as a single? And I think the main point Paul's going to say to you as a single, as a young person, is this. Be single for the glory of God. Be single for the glory of God. Really profound, right? We'll try to break it down. Be single for the glory of God. And I think he's going to do that basically walking through three single truths. All right? Truths for singles. Three single truths. All right? And the first one is this. The single fallacy. Point number one, the single fallacy. And I just want to look at a few of the verses beginning in Uh, Verse 25, and we'll take these paragraphs kind of one at a time here. The single fallacy. Now, who knows what a fallacy is? Anybody? What a fallacy is? Yep, shout it out. What is it? It's a falsehood, something that's not true, right? It's something that maybe somebody proposes but isn't actually accurate. It doesn't correspond to truth. It's a false belief, right? The Corinthians, or at least some of them, had a fallacy as it relates to singleness. They thought something about singleness that just wasn't true. The Corinthians, at least some of them, thought that to be single automatically made you more godly. That if you meet a person that doesn't have a ring on their finger, they are more godly than a person who does have a ring on their finger. Right? So they had this perspective that if you meet someone that's single, they're just automatically more godly than the person who's married. And they had this view that being married and giving in to all these physical interests is just totally ungodly and nothing godly about that. It's better to be more godly to be single. 
Paul actually disagrees. And so the single fallacy is that singlehood by itself is a mark of godliness. Not true. Not true. And you'll notice that as you read beginning in verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, all right, now to be betrothed, just to explain, it's kind of like engagement with a contract, okay? So you had these single people in Corinth, they're engaged, but it's more than engagement. It's like engagement with a contract. You're kind of like basically married, but you're not quite married yet, okay? Now concerning the betrothed, so these are single people, single people not totally married yet. I have no command from the Lord. He's just saying Jesus didn't actually speak on this. But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So in other words, listen up. Jesus didn't talk about it, but I got something to say. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Look down there, it says, see, if you're bound to a wife, in other words, if you're married, or if you're bound to a woman, don't, don't seek to be free, don't leave her, don't divorce her, just because you're a Christian, you think it's better to be separated. No, 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 you, you have that wrong. If you're free, in other words, if you're single, you're not bound in marriage to a person, don't seek a wife. But if a person marries, they haven't sinned, that's, that's totally appropriate. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. What's, what's he saying? He's saying, look, you have this perspective that, that just automatic godliness happens when you marry somebody. Totally, totally wrong, totally inaccurate. The question of whether you marry or don't marry, it's not a question of sinning or not sinning. It doesn't have anything to do with sin, right? If a person who's engaged goes on to be married, totally appropriate. If a person who's not engaged chooses to remain unmarried, that's fine too. The single fallacy is that to be single is more godly than to be married. Now, this also works the opposite way. Because Paul's making it very clear, look, it's, it's not more godly to be married. The, the single fallacy is that your single status, whether it be that you're not a single or that you are, is automatically a mark of godliness. That's just not true. Okay, it's, it's just not true. It's not true that if you're married, you're just automatically more godly, or if you're not married, you're automatically more godly. No, whether or not you have a ring on your finger is no indication if you're more godly or not. You don't gain godliness by putting a ring on your finger. It, it's just no indication at all. Paul's saying, look, it, it, you haven't sinned. If, if they marry, they haven't sinned. If they don't get married, they haven't sinned. This isn't a question of sin, guys. Corinthians, you, you're, you're missing the whole point here. Now, there's things to think about. If you're going to get married, we'll get to that. But the single fallacy is that your status as married or unmarried is a question of whether you're godly or ungodly. Okay? This gets back a little bit to what we talked about, about being a, a love Pharisee, doesn't it? If you apply this to romantic relationships. I'm worth more if I'm with someone, says the love addict. Not so, actually, spiritually. I am worth less if I'm not with someone. Well, not so, actually. Even marriage doesn't grant you greater status in God's kingdom. Lack of marriage doesn't grant you greater status. I'm worth more if I've never been with somebody. Well, no, not actually. <laughs> I'm worth more if I've never, ever been interested in anybody. Well, no, not actually, not even marriage. Not even marriage gives you greater godliness 
in God's kingdom, and not marriage doesn't give you greater godliness. Marriage is not a mark in and of itself of godliness one way or the other. Are you hearing that? Are you hearing that loud and clear? Some of you single girls in here, you may go some time before a godly guy finally wakes up and realizes that you're worth pursuing to be married. And if you go through some of those years, you might be tempted to think, I'm somehow less, I'm a second-class citizen, I'm not as godly because I'm not married, I don't have any children yet, I'm not setting up a home yet, I don't have a husband who's pursued me yet. Not true. Paul would say you're not less godly if you're not married. Some of you people might get married at an earlier age. You get married and then you watch one of your single friends dedicating hours and energy and money to the Lord in a way that you can't. You might assume, well, that's what real godliness looks like. Look at that over there. To be single, that's to be godly. I've got to wash clothes and I've got to do chores and I've got to deal with my husband who comes home from work and he's cranky and exhausted. And How can this be godly? Look what they're doing. That's godly. Not so. To be single or to be married is no mark of godliness in and of itself. If a betrothed woman goes on to get married, it's not sin. If you're free from marriage currently, remain as you are. That's fine. He's trying to tell them, look, you, you can't put godliness as a mark on a marital status. The single fallacy. Don't give in to it. It's not true. God doesn't think that. Be single for the glory of God. One way you do that is not giving in to the single fallacy. The single fallacy, second single truth that we have to think about, the single perspective, the single perspective. You notice there he says, those who, have, those who do marry, notice down there in verse 28, will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. This single perspective, the single perspective, the perspective of godly singles, and really everybody for that matter, the single perspective is an eternal perspective. It's an eternal perspective. It's a perspective that heaven has invaded earth, that eternity has come into time in the form of Jesus, and that our view of life should be everything we do should have heaven in view. Now, if you, if you read this on the face of it, it seems like it would create really confused Corinthians. Like, how in the world am I supposed to have a wife but live like I don't have a wife? Very confusing, Paul. How am I supposed to mourn as though I'm not mourning? I mean, think about that facially. It's challenging. Not mourning, but mourning. Rejoicing, but not rejoicing. I mean, you know. How do I buy as one who has no goods? Just give people money. I'll keep it, keep it. I don't, you know. No, no, I don't want to have any goods. But I need to buy. I'm not going to have any goods, though, right? How, how do we do these things? How do we deal in the world as though we're not in the world? Well, he, he's not saying don't ever do these things. He's not saying don't be married. Actually, he says those who buy, those who deal in the world, those who rejoice. You're supposed to continue doing these things, but here's the point. You're doing them as though they're temporary and passing away. 
You're still doing them. You're still buying things. Otherwise, you've got to go out of the world, right? If you don't buy food, you will die, and then you will go out of the world. You're, you're still buying things, but you're buying them as those who have no goods because one day you won't. You're living as a married person should, but with the recognition that one day the person you're married to won't be married to you anymore because there is no marriage in heaven. You're rejoicing in earthly things, knowing that whatever joy we have on earth, it'll pale in comparison to heaven. You're mourning with things on earth, knowing that eventually death and all that goes with it has passed away. You're living on this world, knowing that this world is coming to an end. The single perspective is an eternal perspective. Now, this is quite contrary to why the world might tell you it's great to be a single. Paul gives a totally opposite motivation. The Corinthians thought that you should be a single because it automatically makes you more godly. Paul says, no, that's not true. Our culture might say to be a single is good because you can get in all the fun stuff before you get married and your life ends. So be a single, because once you're married, you can't travel. Be a single, because once you're married, you can't stay out late, hanging. Be a single, because after you're married, you have to do laundry. And cook things. And pay for things for other people. Be a single because after you're married, your life is over. You can't have your career that you always wanted to have. You can't travel the way you always wanted to do. Basically, you can't do all the things in the world that you want to do. Paul's saying, totally different motivation. Be a single because all the things in the world are temporary anyway. Be a single because this world's passing away. Be a single because you want to have an eternal perspective. Be a single because at some level, even getting married is temporary. Be a single because even the concerns that have to be taken with a family and a wife, they're temporary concerns. At some level, even though obviously it's godly to care for a wife, godly to care for children, godly to... Concern yourself with the realities of life in this world with a family. It's still in this world with a family. So he's saying, look, if, if you're going to be single, you need to start with the perspective that anything that happens on this world, even marrying somebody, is temporary. If you're going to be single, have eternity in view. Really, the same thing for those that are married Though they're already married, that should be the case. He says that those who are married live as though you're not married. What does that mean? Well, it just means live as though this marriage is it's, it's, it's temporary. We're living for something far more eternal. We're not wrapped up, consumed by temporary things, even wonderful, godly things like a family and a wife, a husband. Be single. Why? So I can get in all my fun before I get married and a spouse ruins it all. No, be single, why? Because it's a lot more fun to be single. You don't have somebody wanting you to come home at a certain time. You don't have somebody wondering if you spent too much at the mall. You don't have somebody wondering if you can please not wear that and please wear this. Be single so you can get all your fun in 
before you start the launch and the long trudgery towards demise. You know this thinking, don't you? It's the ball and chain theology of this world. To be married is to be a prisoner. The ball and a chain called a spouse. And you just better hope you marry one of those lighter ones that let you run a little faster than you might otherwise do. The heavier ones, those ball and chains that are always telling you exactly what to do. Don't marry one of those. Avoid those kind of spouses if you possibly can. Try to perceive the ball and chain capacity of this person that you are so attracted to right now because you're attracted to them now, but later on they will ruin your existence. Paul says, um, isn't that still just living for this world? Live with eternity in view. You know a good reason that I can think of to be a single, Paul says? Those who marry at some level, even though it's great to be married, they are going to have a certain level of worldly trouble. And as good as it is to be married, there's a certain level practically of worldly trouble that they have to be concerned with. And there's something wonderful about being able to live with eternity in view. Not to run towards yourself, but to run towards heaven. I shared this with the guys at one of the men's breakfasts. I thought it would be appropriate to share here. It's impossible to evaluate eternity, right? It's almost, I mean, it's impossible. how long is forever? But let's just say that eternity was a million years, which it, we know it's longer than that, right? Let's say it was a million years, all right? Now, you math guys, you're going to get ahead of me here. And let's just say you were going to live to be 100 years old, which you know your life's going to be shorter than that, most of you. Million-year eternity to 100-year life. How much is a hundred years worth in a million years? Now, it's a little difficult to put that together, okay? Because a million years, how do you even compute that? That's basically like the, the ratio is the same as a person who lives a hundred years and takes four days to get something done. A hundred years, you all doing your SATs, right, pretty soon here. hundred years is to a million years the way four days is to a hundred years. Here's what that means. If you knew that everything in your life for a hundred years was going to be based on what you did for four days, how efficient would you be in the four days? A hundred years of living. Just think about that for a minute. What would that be like? I mean, you know, two days in, you, oh man, I am just, I need a break. I need a break. I'm going to take a morning off. I mean, I've been going two days. I need a morning off. Give me a morning. Just a morning. What's the big deal? Dude, it's a hundred years. 
A hundred years, you're going to take a break for a morning for a hundred years? Everything you do, you really think a morning three hours of catching your breath is worth it? Dude, I'd be clawing your way through that four days because a hundred years, you're going to be reaping the benefits or the regrets for what you were doing in that four days. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, Live like you're in the four days. Live like you're in the four days. You got a hundred years riding on four days. Don't take a morning off. Don't take an evening off. Don't think about, well, this would be really fun for four days. It has nothing to do with the rest of my hundred years, but it's really fun for now. He's saying, no, why would you do that? Spend these four days investing in a hundred. The single perspective is an eternal perspective. Your life is the four days. Single perspective. Finally, the single passion. The single passion. Notice in verse 32 it says this, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now we know very clearly from other things that Paul says that Paul loves marriage. It presents the gospel, right? So he's not saying, look, to please your wife is worldly. He's not saying that. He's saying, look, just practically, practically, there's something about this earth that has to do with caring for a wife, caring for a family, caring for a husband, right? It doesn't make you any more godly to be single, but surely you can recognize that a person who is not trying to please their family has a certain kind of freedom in their pursuit of the Lord. They're free from a certain level of earthly care. It's not more godly, but it certainly is more free. And if you're running this race, there is a certain level of heavenly mindedness that a single person can have that a married person has to, by definition, be thinking somewhat in terms of this earth. In a way, in a greater way, than a single person has to. Not in an ungodly way, but just in a real way. He's saying, look, the the single passion is an opportunity. The single passion is an opportunity. It's an opportunity of years unencumbered by even good earthly concerns and free to run passionately after God, to run free of all even good earthly restraints, to be free from all schedule restraints, monetary restraints, emotional restraints, to be free from all these things that even good godly married people have towards one another. It's to be free to give yourself wholly with undivided devotion to the Lord. Now that's what everybody should be doing. But there's a certain way in which single people have an opportunity. They have an opportunity to express passion. 
an opportunity to express devotion to the Lord that's undistracted, it's, it's undivided. It's not concerned simultaneously with glorifying the Lord by serving a spouse. It's just glorifying the Lord. It's an undivided passion. It's an undivided focus. It's a focus on God that's free of all restraints, good restraints, bad restraints. It's running with all of your might through all of that four days so that when you reach eternity, you can say, I didn't waste an hour. I didn't waste a moment. I didn't waste five minutes. No breathing time allowed. I ended that race down on my face, gasping for air, and I ran into heaven. So that if you die before you're married, you can say, oh yeah, that passionate opportunity, the single passion that I was supposed to have, I gave it all. All the time that would have gone to a spouse, I gave it to the Lord. All the time that would have gone to children, I gave it to the Lord. All the time that would have gone to provide for a family, I gave that to serve other people and to serve God's work. I gave those things to the Lord. All that time that would have had to go to earthly concerns in providing for a family, I sacrificed it all. I got nothing left. What are you supposed to do with your single years? Be single for the glory of God. Be single for the glory of God. Most of you won't be single very long. Some of you might receive grace to be single for the rest of your life. If that's the case, God has not given you the gift of marriage. He's given you the gift of an undivided opportunity. He's given you the gift of himself. Maybe you won't bring up children. You'll just bring up converts. Maybe you won't encourage a spouse. You'll just encourage the weaker brother. Maybe you won't invest in a home. Maybe you'll just invest in God's kingdom. Maybe you won't have early evenings at home with a wonderful dinner. Maybe you'll spend your evenings caring for the homeless. Maybe you'll be the one going on a church plant because the other person can't afford to. Maybe you'll be the one going out into a distant land to support a struggling pastor because the other person can't afford to. Maybe you'll be the person that is serving long hours, late at night, setting up chairs because the married person has a sick kid at home. Maybe you'll do that for a couple of years. Maybe you'll do that for the rest of your life. Maybe you'll be like that widow that met Jesus in the temple. They say she spent all her days worshiping God. And when Jesus came into the temple, she was there waiting for him. For as long as you're a single, why don't you be waiting for his return? So you're there waiting for him when he comes. Doing the work that he's coming back to complete. Be single for the glory of God. Most of you will get married. You'll have a small window for this kind of passion. Use it. How foolish is our culture, even Christian culture, 
if it wastes its single years on directionless, selfish, non-marriage-focused romantic pursuits that leave no time or emotion for spending singleness for the glory of God. When you're ready to get married, get married to the glory of God. Until then, be single for the glory of God. I'm sure you've all seen a three-legged race. Often they're awkward. But occasionally, you get somebody just gifted to run three-legged races, right? And they do them together. Somehow these people find one another and they just trounce everyone else in the competition. Everyone else has fallen and they just look like they were made to run. They're running faster than they do alone, you know. It seems uncanny. And they cross that finish line and they're moving as one. Their arms are moving and their legs are tied together. They just think that they were, they were made to run together just like that. How are they even doing this? They're not even athletic, but they just seem to, they've got it down, you know. It's wonderful to see people moving in unison, crossing the finish line. There's something, there's something wonderful about that. There's something wonderful about a man and his wife running towards the finish line together. Something wonderful about that. There's a different kind of glory for the sprinter. Eyes focused, running as fast as he or she can, straining towards the finish line. They're both wonderful. They're both a way of glorifying God. For as long as you're a lone sprinter, run. Be single to the glory of God. And when you pair up with somebody else, run, be married to the glory of God. Whatever your romantic status is, define it by the Bible. Do it for the glory of God. One more Reminder, all of this teaching, all of this teaching, it's all based on the Bible and eternity and God. None of it is worthwhile if you are not a Christian. And you're not a Christian just because you're sitting here. You're not a Christian just because you grew up in a Christian home. You're not a Christian just because you have Christian parents. It's not worth it. Non-Christian singles shouldn't live for eternity because eternity is going to be a lot worse than right now. If you're not a Christian, don't try to be romantic biblically. It's not worth it. Recognize that you need a Savior. You need a Savior. You need a Savior to pay for your sins. 
You need a Savior to grant you eternal life. You need a Savior to redeem your selfish, romantic values and to give you the gift of a biblical view of romance. If that's you, and throughout all this series, you're just thinking, I cannot do this. I don't love God enough to do this. Maybe you don't. Jesus died for people who don't. Come talk to me. Talk to your mom and dad. Talk to somebody. More than anything, repent of your sins. Romantic sins or any other kind of sins. Repent of your sins. Receive his forgiveness. And start running to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you so much for this series. I want to thank you for the blessing of your word that guides us and is a light to our path. I want to thank you that we don't try to guide ourselves, but you've given us a light, and we walk forward one step at a time following the light that you've given us. So I ask that you would bless this group of young people. I ask for any that don't know you that you would reveal yourself, you would forgive their sins, you could draw them to yourself, Lord. I pray for any who are convicted of romantic sins or a romantic worldview that is contrary to your word. I pray you would change their hearts, you would direct them towards you, you would grant them the blessing of lifelong romance for your glory. I pray for any that you have called to be single, either temporarily or permanently, that you would bless them with legs to run for your glory. And that you would give them pleasure in that and joy in that and receiving the gift that you have given them for this season. Bless the purity of every person in this room, Lord. May it be purity for your glory. May your name be glorified by every single person, every married person here. In Jesus' name, amen.